2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Lord has taken me on an interesting journey to get to this morning's message and this evening's message. And I have just stood back and just been amazed at how he has led the, the entire thing. When I first was wrestling with the passage, hear the word of the Lord, and I thought that's what the Lord had me speak on, and there's been a passage that's been working in my life. The way that I usually teach and preach is much simpler than this morning. Uh, this morning, there's a lot to it, and uh, there's a lot, of, you know, very uh, beefy, if you want to call it that. Uh, tonight, well, actually, when in the way that I was preparing it, the way that I thought the Lord's initial direction was going, deviated to what it was this morning. And so, Saturday morning, or Saturday, Friday night, I was working on it, working on it. Saturday morning, I wake up, and three verses on the word of the Lord, on the word of God, pops into my head that were in line with what my original direction was. And so I'm like, wait a second. Is the Lord you know, taking me down this path? And nope, he wants me to go back over here. I'm trying to figure out, Lord, what are you wanting to do here? Um, and so I wrestled with that. And when those three verses popped into my mind, there was an assurance that tonight is where the original direction, where that deviated off, is supposed to be for tonight. And so if you wanted to call this, hear the word of the Lord, part two, uh, you could. But I just stand back amazed that where we got to today, this is all the Lord's doing, and I have just been along for the ride, really. We frame our expectations by what we believe something is, and you can follow along with me. Right? If you have it in your head, you're invited to an event, and you believe that this is a formal event, what are your expectations for dress going to be? Right, you, you built expectations on what you thought was formal. You're going to wear a suit and tie, maybe, a nice dress. What you believed made your expectations go one way. Right, if you go to a restaurant and you, there's nothing on the menu less than $40, what is your expectations for the quality and the quantity of your food? I better get a lot out of this. My 40 bucks is worth something. I better get what, what, I, what I paid for. So our beliefs, what you understand something is, influences your expectations. Now, what if our beliefs are wrong? What happens to your expectations? Your expectations are going to be off. All right, so that formal event that you thought was a, that event you thought was formal, it ends up being casual. You expected to come, everybody else is in suit and tie, and you're the only one there in a suit and tie, everybody else is in shorts and a t-shirt. Your belief was wrong, your expectations were off. The $40 plate comes out, and there's just one little helping on there that's not even enough to get hungry on, and you're like, and then you taste it, and it, you know, just throw it out. It's awful, right? You, you had a wrong understanding of something, and your expectations were now not met, right? So that's an expectation that you were disappointed in. The opposite can happen. Where you expect something and it's, or you don't expect something and it, it comes up. Maybe your tax refund, you're expecting a low amount and it comes back bigger 
than expected. All right, I said it, it can, not that it will, it can. How about you, you walk through life, oh man, nobody f remembered my birthday. And you get to the end, they just kind of moping around, and it's surprise, birthday. What you believed affected your expectations, whether that it was positively or negatively. Our wrong beliefs misinform our expectations. In the morning, or whenever you do devotions, when you open this book, what expectations do you have? Just think through in your mind, when I open this book, what are my expectations when coming to it? I'll let you think for a second. Tonight is going to be very simple. We're going to observe five passages that talk about what the word of the Lord is, what God's book is. We're going to settle our beliefs. What, is we be what do we need to believe about the Bible? And that is going to influence, then, what we can expect from it. So the title of tonight's message, I opened my Bible. What should I expect? Let's pray. Father, you have given us a very precious book, and we ask that you would tell us about it tonight. We pray that your spirit would move and take this very simple message and apply it in very practical ways in this congregation tonight. Lord, we need your word. It is the words of life. It is our, the thing that we hold on to that gives us instruction. And so, Father, instruct us tonight, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. We've got about seven very simple points, what the Bible is and what we can expect from Scripture when we approach it. So what the Bible is is going to frame our expectations. 2 Timothy 3.16 is our first verse. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Number one, what is the Bible? The Bible is inspired. The Bible is inspired. All scripture is given by inspiration. I like libraries, not because I'm an avid reader and I go there all the time to get books, but I remember distinctly standing at the Maranatha Library, which is a very, uh, the college, very small library comparatively. But you go to you know, larger libraries around. And I just remember standing there and just looking, shelf after shelf, row after row, book, 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 as far as the eye could see. All the authors that have written down through the ages, and this is just a small, you go to the Library of Congress or whatever these bigger libraries are, how many millions of books have been written in the world? And I find it fascinating that some guy decided to write down his life experiences, to write down maybe a word of wisdom, to write down business plans, to write down his creative storytelling. Person after person has taken time to write their thoughts on paper. But they all these books, all these books have one thing in common. They are all human authors. And with human authors, you are going to have human limitations. Think about a limited perspective. 
right? A guy gets 80 years to live on planet Earth, let's say. That's a very short time window, and he's sharing his worldview from 80 years of experience. You have communication breakdown, where he's trying to say one thing, but you interpret it as something else. You have the introduction of error. He thought he was right, but it's wrong. All human authors have some sort of human limitation. The Bible is not human descent. The Bible is not of human descent. It is divine descent. It does not have any of these human limitations. Inspired means it is God-breathed. God himself wrote this book. These are God's very words. Number one, the Bible is inspired. So what can I expect when I open this book in the morning? If these are God's very words, I expect to hear from God. I come to my Bible study in the morning, and I can expect to hear from God. This is God's words. He will communicate to you. Number two, same passage. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Point number two, scripture is, the Bible is, profitable. All right, how many of you like to do something, and you work, 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 spend all these resources, and when you get to the end of it, you found out it was a waste of time? All right, so for vacation Bible school, the summer, uh, it was a medieval theme, and I decided I wanted to go the extra mile and uh, have some extra props for the kids to play uh, their games. I was in charge of game time, and I decided I wanted to build some castle walls for this medieval theme that the kids can you know, have some sort of fort to run in and out of. We'd come across some cardboard, and uh, so I said, hey, this cardboard will work great. And so I got some paint, and I painted it all up to uh, look like bricks of a castle, and I spent several hours uh, painting these things in the back room back there. I come back in the morning, and guess what? Paint and cardboard don't work well together. These pieces of cardboard had folded up like this, and it was basically a circle after I had done it. And I had worked and worked and worked trying to fix it. I spent so many hours, I wanted to just make this thing happen, so I spent even more time fixing it. And I got to a point of frustration. I took them outside and threw them in the dumpster. All of this time and effort, that's your, uh, your payment towards me. <laughs> my wages, yeah, I work. Hopefully my whole existence is not that way. Right? Wasted time, wasted resources. When you come to Scripture... It is not a waste of time. It is profitable. All scripture is given by inspiration. It is profitable for doctrine, telling us what's right, reproof, telling you what's wrong, correction, how do we get right, instruction, how do we stay right. Very simple. What's right, what's wrong, how to get right, how to stay right. The verse does say all scripture. That means Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the genealogies. Are you reading in your scripture and you come to these passages and it just seems like it's taking forever? It's like, what's the point? Let me just skip over these passages and get to something better. All scripture is given and is profitable. Going through those is not a waste of time. Number two, the Bible is profitable. I can expect to not waste my time. Coming to scripture is not a waste of time. 
Number three, we'll go to Hebrews 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Another famous passage on, on the Bible. Hebrews 4, 12 says this. <clears throat> For the word of God is quick, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eye of him with whom we have to do. We don't really use these words quick and powerful um, in modern sentences, but you can put it down like this. Point number three, the word of God is alive, quick, and powerful, active. Alive and active, powerful. The word of God is alive and active. Human existence is familiar with something's lifespan. Humans, we have a lifespan. A certain amount of years and we die. Trends, fashion trends, what is social media trends, they raise and then they die. Uh, your vehicle, it runs and then it dies. Everything has a lifespan. But not everything necessarily completely dies out. There's still a little remnant remaining. So it comes to a peak and then it crescendos down. And then there could just be this little stream that continues on. For example, when I grew growing up, I played a video game called Stronghold Crusader. It was a medieval uh, strategy game that you build a kingdom and go fight other kingdoms. And so this was pretty popular when I was a kid, and I loved playing the game, still do. Uh, about 10 months ago, I downloaded the game, I found it again, and downloaded it, and I would say, hey, maybe I can play online with people. And there was a very lacking population still playing this game. There were still a few. It had trended, came down, but there's just a few people hanging on. Right, you could call it on life support. This thing, it trended, and now it's barely hanging on. You know that God's word does not have a lifespan? It is alive. But more than that, it does not, it is not, it is not on life support. The Bible is not just barely hanging on. It's active. It's moving. You can wake up and it be fresh. It is constantly applicable. This ancient book does not go outdated. It is alive. So if the Bible, number three, is alive and active, what can I expect tomorrow morning? Expect it to be applicable to you. Right? This isn't an outdated, well, this, this was for 500 years ago. No, this is for me this morning. The Bible is alive and active. Number four, same verse. It is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the, to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Number four, the Bible is sharp, penetrating, and accurate. Sharp, penetrating, and accurate. Growing up, I lived out in the country, and uh, it, before my dad built the house there, uh, it was farm country. And the old farmers just used to throw their trash out in the ditches. 
and so uh, and just kind of buried over. And so um, my sisters and I would run to the back and we'd just go out and dig in the backyard for hours on end, and we'd we'd dig up all this uh, random uh, stuff that the farmers had buried. We had come across at one point uh, two swords, and I think these were just play swords. Somebody just hammered some metal together and made them into swords, uh, but they were distinctly swords. But uh, the handle was missing on them. These things were rusted to pieces, uh, bent. This is not a sharp and piercing sword. But my sisters and I, we like to play with them. And my older sister and I, I can't remember if there was two swords or, um, or if she just had the one sword, but my sister was swinging this thing around and she whacked me, I think it was right here above my eyebrow. She swung this thing and boom, hits me. And I can't remember if I'm bleeding or knocked out what, it, what happened. Uh, but that is a, a memory <laughs> that we go back to often, is Heidi whacking me with the sword we've, we dug up. The Word of God is not this dull, rusty, inaccurate blade. It is sharp. It is able to cut through the hardened hearts. I do some model making, and uh, our hobby knives, the X-Acto knives, are basically our best friend in, the, in this hobby. And after a while, that blade gets dull, and you can't cut through. You can't cut straight. There's multiple passes. The Word of God is sharp. It can cut right through the most hardened of hearts. It's penetrating. It's able to get to the heart of the matter. Maybe you've, you've experienced you know, some sort of chaos in your family or a relationship or something at work blows up. And all of these things are being offered and suggestions, and you're trying to wade through what's right, what's wrong. It's so confusing, and all of this information is swirling around you. And then somebody says this, says something, and it just clears the air, and you say, that's the problem. This is what the Word of God does. It doesn't just beat at the air and just give you all of the, um, uh, the cursory things of life that don't really matter, and it's swinging at nothing. It is able to cut through all of that fog, all of that chaos, and say, here is the exact problem. And that goes along with number three is accurate. It cuts in the right spot. Think about a, a, a doctor. He's got a patient there, and he needs to make an incision on the guy's leg. And so he's on the table, and he, he gets his knife, right? The doctor's knives are very sharp, very precise. And so he gets down, and he penetrates the leg, and he makes that incision. And then the nurse says, uh, excuse me, doctor, that was the wrong leg. <laughs> it was inaccurate. It was sharp, and it cut, but it wasn't in the right spot. God's word knows how to cut precisely where it needs to cut. Number four, the word of God is sharp, penetrating, and accurate. What can I expect? Expect to get cut where needed. When I wake up and I read this book, this is going to confront me. This is going to show me here is right, here is wrong. This is where it needs to change. Expect to get cut. Number five. We'll turn to Psalm 18, verse 30. Psalm 18, 30. Psalm 18, verse 30 says, As for God, 
his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all those who trust in him. Number five, proven. The Bible is proven. It's tried. It's been tested. It's proven. All right, so what goes through your mind when you sit down for dinner and your wife or your mom, grandma, whoever cooks, says, I'm so excited for dinner, I've tried a new recipe. I've got to be careful here. I'm moved to this side of the... Right? You, when you approach that meal, is this going to be good? Right? You, it's not tested. It's a brand new recipe. Is this going to be good? Is it going to taste well? Is it, am I going to get poison from it? We, what? Oh, yes. Yes, my wife is a lovely cook. <laughs> yes, my wife is a wonderful cook. I, and I've got it in my notes right here. All right, for the new dishes, we approach cautiously. But we like the long, proven dishes. I love Lene's enchiladas right here. Lene's enchiladas. <laughs> she's, make the, she's made them consistently, and every time I devour them. I love my mom's white chicken chili. It is delicious. My grandma's sticky rolls. Every family get-together, when she makes them, those are the first things to go. We love the long-proven things. Uh, the long track record of being uh, good. God's word is not in an experience an experimental phase. God's word is not in an experimental phase. God's word has a long history of coming true. When God says, come to me and find rest, this isn't, let's try this out, let's see what happens. This is, everybody who has come to me has found rest. You can depend on it. You are not going to be disappointed. God's word is proven, it's tested, it's tried, it works. Number five, it's proven. What can I expect? Expect it to work for you. Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, Amy Carmichael, on and on and on. They were not one-offs. Now the Bible worked for them. The Bible, can, Bible works for us. Expect, uh, expect it to be true in your life. Number six, Psalm 119.105. You knew we were going to get there, didn't you? Psalm 119, 105. All right, Randy taught on this uh, passage last week. So I'm not going to camp out too long here. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Number six, it is a light. The Bible is light. A couple months ago, we went on that men's camp out uh, up in the mountains, and we reserved camp spots, campsites, that had a horse corral on them. And uh, so with this horse corral, there have been horses up there before. And what do horses leave behind? All right, <laughs> apples. All right, so, and these apples were not just contained to the horse corral. They were everywhere. During the daylight, you could walk around no problem. What was the problem is at night, when you can't see, your tent is not next to the campfire, it's down a ways, 
and now there's this land minefield between you and your tent. You get out your flashlight. Where do you point the flashlight? No, you point it at your feet. Why? So you can avoid the traps that are along the way. This is what God's word does for us. God's word reveals those hidden dangers of life. Think about marriage. Right? God's word doesn't tell you marry Susie or marry Peter. It doesn't tell you that. It tells you about the dangers of marriage. What are the obstacles? What are the traps? We could talk about a few here. Scripture warns of a brawling woman. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't have an unprotected heart. Danger, danger, danger. Scripture is a light that lights your feet. Where are we going? Where are the traps ahead in life? And to walk through life with your flashlight off, you're going to step into landmines. Some landmines may be smaller. Some landmines may blow you to smithereens. Be careful of walking in the dark. Number six, the Bible is light. What can I expect? Expect to walk safely with it. Expect to walk safely with it. If I read, it tells me, here's what I should do, here's what I should not do. Follow it. I'm walking in a safe path. I'm walking by its light. Our final point here, number seven, we find in Psalm 33, 4. Psalm 33, 4. Psalm 33, 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Number seven, the Bible is right. Have you ever had to tell your spouse, your mom, parents, you are right? I have to do this all the time with my wife. <laughs> Actually, one of the phrases, you know, when we're cooking food or I'm bringing her something, uh, I've got two cups in my hand. I always put her drink in my right hand because Lene's always right. <laughs> you go to the grocery store and your wife says, I need this item. It's in row seven, halfway down, middle shelf. And I go there and I look and I look and I look and look. And I stand there for 15 minutes, scanning, 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 up and down the aisles, up and down the aisles. And I come back and my, to my wife says, you're wrong. It's not there. I look and I look and look. No, it's there. Go back and look again. I look and look, look, look. 15 more minutes. Come no. And then she comes over, says, right here. Pulls it out without even looking. You were right. How many times have we challenged God's word in similar ways? And we have to come back to the Lord and say, you were right. God's word is never wrong. And we sometimes butt our heads against this, say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I, this is my way. I know I'm right here. God's word contradicts us. Say, no, no. Pretty soon, you're going to turn to the Lord and say, you were right. God's word is wrong. He's right. <laughs> God's word is right. He's never wrong. <laughs> Lightning. God's word is never wrong. It's always right. 
God's word is right, what can I expect? Expect to be proven wrong. You open up the Bible, you have your way of living, your thought process, it's going to confront you and say, you're wrong. And you're going to turn to the Lord and say, you're right. And we talked about this actually this morning. When God gives you the new heart, that tender, soft, fleshy heart, you want to do what he says. And actually, when you come to Scripture and your life doesn't line up with it, you, you turn and say, I want to do this. You're not constantly fighting it. It is a life that's, that does come to the Lord and say, you were right, you were right. Expect to be proven wrong. What you believe influences your expectations. How do you approach Scripture? What do you believe this divine book is? We looked at it. It is inspired. What do we expect? Expect to hear from God. It's profitable. Expect it not to be a waste of time. It is alive and active. Expect it to be applicable to you. It is sharp and penetrating and accurate. Expect to be cut where needed. It's proven. Expect it to work for you. It's light. Expect to walk safely. It's right. Expect to be proven wrong. Beliefs form expectations. Beliefs and expectations form action. Right? You believed it was a formal event. You expected everybody else to dress in a suit and tie, and you got dressed in a suit and tie. Your actions were based on your beliefs and expectations. Analyze your actions. What do your actions tell you you believe and expect from Scripture? All right, we've done the hard work tonight in revealing here is what the Bible is. Here is what you can expect. And so I'm going to send you guys home now to do that next hard work and analyze how should my actions be changed in order to match up with proper beliefs and proper expectations. Let's pray. Father, we are so indebted to you for this book that we have in front of us. Father, it cannot be rightly called a book because it is holy. It is completely different than every kind of book that we know. Father, I ask that you would use your word and penetrate deep into every heart here this evening. By your spirit, I ask that you would uh, convict myself and convict everybody here that we would spend uh, an appropriate time in your word and come to it with proper expectations. Father, I pray that you would forgive us where we have failed in mishandling and we have mishandled your word. Father, teach us to walk appropriately. We ask this in the precious name of Christ. Amen.